Sometimes as a caregiver, you have to know when to say something and when to fold and when to back off because you don't want to take someone's autonomy away either, right? So I can imagine someone with a chronic or rare disease and it's a new thing for them, they feel like they've lost a part of themselves. So as a caregiver, knowing when to find that delicate dance between the two. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman. Today, I'm honored to speak with Crispin Goitia Vasquez, who is a program manager at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. In order to rejuvenate herself after a long work week, she reads about history and spends time baking in the kitchen. Thank you for joining me today, Crispin, to discuss your caregiving journey. What is your earliest memory of being a caregiver for a loved one? So I think back to the experience I had with my my grandmother. So my grandmother um, was diabetic and she was taking a medication that was affecting her liver. Mind you, I was about 21, 22 years old at the time. And I didn't realize that the problems she was having with her liver were ultimately affecting the ammonia levels in her body that were causing what looked like dementia, but really was not dementia. And so I had to do my own research because none of the doctors on her team were listening because her symptoms were very interesting. During the day, she was completely lucid. Everything was fine. She knew me, she knew my son, my dad, no issues. Then all of a sudden it would get dark and it was like eight, nine o'clock at night And she would start to forget who I was, call out for her son who had passed away years before. So I did research. So when I told her care team, they didn't want to listen to me. We switched her to another hospital. By the time they realized that that's what was going on and checked the ammonia levels in her blood, she had already become so sick that she ended up passing away shortly after. But I had to care for her during the day. My dad worked nights. He was an EMT for New York City. During the nighttime, I would stay with her and bathe her and take care of her. She would forget who I was and thought I was a stranger. And that's the worst thing for someone who I had a very strong relationship with and a strong bond. It was really hard. It was not easy. That's a really big shift in a relationship. You know, you go from her being your grandmother and seeing her in one certain role to now being a caregiver and having to to service her in a, in a different way. Um, so what was that transition like for you? You know, I never thought about that. No one's ever asked me that. I mobilized into caregiver mode without even thinking about it. And at the time that this happened, my son was three. I was already taking care of a child. So for me, it was just an extension of that caregiving. But I could imagine if I didn't have a child at that time, it might have been very different for me. So many family caregivers don't even recognize that they're caregivers. Like you said, you don't think about it. You just act. This is a loved one. They're going through something. I need to help them. So what have been your other experiences when it comes to to caregiving outside of your grandmother? Then there was my dad. I was his caregiver until he passed away. Um, My first husband until he passed away. My dad and him passed away two months apart, almost eight years ago. So my dad died in August of 2012, and my first husband died in October of 2012. Caregiving with my dad was interesting 
because he's an EMT. So, you know, if you're a doctor, nurse or EMT, they're like the most difficult people to take care of because they think they know everything. Sometimes as a caregiver, you have to know when to say something and when to fold and when to back off because you don't want to take someone's autonomy away either, right? So I can imagine someone with a chronic or rare disease and it's a new thing for them. They feel like they've lost a part of themselves. And so there's that flip side. And so as a caregiver, knowing when to finding that delicate dance between the two. I love that you use the wording, it's a delicate dance, you know, and you don't want to overstep those boundaries, which took a lot of patience, <laughs> I would guess. Oh, absolutely. Caregiving isn't just about their healthcare needs. Caregiving is about their entire life. So can you write this email for me? Can you make sure this goes to the post office? Can you pick this up for me? Can you do this for me? So it's not just the medical care, which is an important piece of it. But if you were to think about it like the spokes of a bicycle wheel, you have the patient in the center and it's all these different requests that come out from that one individual that you need. I love that imagery. That's really good. Yeah, it's holistic care. Like you said, it's not just focused on medical. There's so many moving parts to it. Around that same time frame, you were also caring for your first husband. So how was that experience in juxtaposition to caring for your dad? It was sudden. He went into cardiac arrest in the house. I was actually at work that day. So I live in the Bronx. My dad lived in the Bronx, but I worked in Manhattan. So it took me some time to get there. I didn't have time to really grieve because then my husband got sick and he died from diverticulitis and he was never diagnosed before and his intestines perforated and he became septic and died. And so it was making these really hard decisions while he couldn't speak because he was on a ventilator. So he couldn't talk to me. So we tried writing things down so he could communicate, but that became difficult for him. And navigating through all the medical decisions, was I making the right medical decisions? And then talking to his mother and his brother other about what the doctor said and trying to not feel like I had to make all those decisions while he was in the hospital by myself. I didn't want to make decisions and ultimately the rest of the family be upset with any kind of decisions that were made. But that was hard because then not only did I have to worry about his well-being, but then his mom was having, his mother was having anxiety problems and she couldn't cope. Then my kids were just starting school. My son was going into his sophomore year of high school. My daughter was going into third grade. It was just like the trifecta of the most difficult moment in time. So I feel like I never had the chance to really grieve my dad. And here we are almost eight years later and I miss him like it happened yesterday. I never thought of myself as a caregiver. I just thought of, I'm your daughter. I'm doing what I got to do. Other people aren't stepping in in the family. So I guess Crispin's going to do it. But it becomes a toll because then it becomes the expectation that Crispin's going to do everything. So then with my friends, it becomes, oh, well, COVID happened. Let's call Crispin because Crispin knows what happened. No, Crispin was sick with COVID and was learning like everybody else. So it's just really interesting how you become that gatekeeper of clinical healthcare decision-making world. And all of that does take a toll. Were there any things that you did during that that time period and season in your life to try to take care of yourself? I did a lot of deep breathing. So the diaphragmatic belly breathing, I did a lot of that. I found myself lost in 
reading to kind of escape the everyday routines and responsibilities. Go for drives up in Westchester and upstate New York and just get lost for the day. Sometimes fly kites with my kids. That was really great. My dad and I used to do that. (laughs) It would be great if there was caregiver ambassadors, right? Like a way for people who have been through this experience to be there as mentors for people who are going through it, who don't know they're going through it. Because I can honestly say everyone that I know of personally and professionally are caregiving right now. We're all in the thick of something. And so I think it's important to think about how we need time for ourselves But don't get mad at the person you're giving care to. Know when you reached your limit and take a step back and say for yourself, listen, I can't do this right now and I'll come back when I'm in a better space. I think that's really important because often people just keep going, 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 and then they don't think about putting a hard stop on something to make things better. Because I think if you don't, then when you get to the point where you're uber frustrated, then it's a little too late because then you can say something or do something that's going to be hurtful to somebody else. You're 100% correct. A lot of caregivers just always feel this responsibility in this role that they have to keep going. But you highlight a very important point that sometimes stepping away will allow you to come back at your fullest. And I know you mentioned earlier that you and your husband actually got diagnosed with COVID during the onset of this pandemic. So my husband works for New York City Transit, and he was told at the very beginning that they couldn't wear masks on the bus because they were going to scare passengers. But all the evidence is saying you should wear them, but you're telling them they can't. And if they do, they're going to be reprimanded in some fashion. So I think that was really hard. And then we had to develop these cleaning protocols when he would come home. He derobed all of his clothes right at the beginning of the house in the foyer, put everything in the washing machine right away, took a bath, took a hot shower, had like two cups of tea and then constant vitamins. There was just so much that was so unknown. And a lot of it was just on the fly. Is this going to work? My husband and I still keep our regimen of vitamins exactly the same that we took it a year ago, because even though we're fully vaccinated, we don't want to ever get COVID again. As time went along and more information came out, did they eventually become more understanding and supportive um, of their workers? When Dr. Fauci and Cuomo here in New York State strongly suggesting a mask. So I want to say definitely by the end of March. And then it became the practice. They were giving out masks, hand sanitizer, gloves to staff on the start of their shift. They were giving it to them in like a baggie so that they were all individually wrapped. That's a relief to hear um, because, you know, that is a frontline worker position. It's important for us to not fail our people. You're right. My husband actually did a a Facebook live video when he was sick with COVID about all of his concerns concerning the MTA and their practices. It got a lot of attention. There were so many people going through the same thing. They even created a Google Duo group that would talk once a day at night with all the people who were sick. So it seems like even though in the beginning, MTA didn't organize, you know, a support system, but the workers themselves, they galvanized each other. And so the people who were sick in that first round of the pandemic who had recovered were helping the next group of people who became sick. And there were a lot of mental health issues too. There were so many people that would call my husband and were like, 
freaked out. Am I going to die? What am I going to do? Am I going to get better? What did you do for you and your wife to get better? All of these best practices from a, a sick person's perspective and what worked and talking to people. Sometimes he would be on the phone at one, two o'clock in the morning to help ease them so that they didn't feel like they were alone, especially people who had to isolate by themselves. Well, I commend your husband and all the other MTA workers who were in that first batch to really create that community. And you mentioned this whole process that your husband went through when coming home. How did you both serve as a caregiver for each other while you're both still very much going through it yourselves? I had my first symptoms starting March 17th and he had his March 20th. So if I felt a little better, then you got more care from me. If you felt a little bit better than I did, then I got more from you. It was like literally like Lady Justice is supposed to be blind with the weights. It was like, okay, so Crispin's a little not well today, but you're a little better. So we'll put here and then we'll even it out. Right. And so it became kind of like a seesaw (laughs) so that we tried to keep each other balanced So my husband's asthmatic and I'm not. So he had more breathing issues than I did. Mine was more coughing and lethargy. His was impairing his ability to breathe properly. But we really did help each other a lot. It was his turn to get tea and then I would bring tea. It was his turn to get the vitamins or it was my turn. So we would like switch up so that one person wasn't feeling like they were doing it all alone. So the two of you truly lived out your vows of in sickness and in health. You know, I didn't even think about it until you just said that. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. When it came to resources, you tapped into your network of people that you already knew and got creative with figuring where you could pull information from, um, which is really admirable because like you said, there was so much uncertainty. And then share that with others. So there were other people that my husband worked with um, at New York City Transit who were sick right after us. And so all the lessons and all the things that we we had come up with, um, we shared with them. And at that time, they couldn't leave their house. So once we were better and out of the 14-day quarantine period, we were able to drop off groceries to the front of their home. And like we started like dropping things off to people because they didn't have they couldn't leave their home. So there were two families that we were able to do that for. And upstate New York, like about an hour away. I don't mean like within the metro area, (laughs) like a good 45 minute to an hour ride away from where we live. Mm. You all were angels, angels helping, helping other people. And there's there's power in that, you know, when you can use your testimony to to be someone else's breakthrough, you know, and to help someone along. Even if you know just a little bit more than they do, you know, you know that that's enough to, to be able to pass on. Now, with it being a year later, do you feel like there has been many changes to help support the, the workforce? You know, I, I think that there are pockets of change, right? So Mount Sinai did a really great job at creating a wellness institute for staff and faculty um, that you can download an app and get resources to mental health needs, other kinds of resources, uh, meditation, calming techniques, um, reaching out for help pretty much. And that started in May of last year. So just a couple of months out and is doing pretty well, actually. Um, If we talk about the workforce on a whole, 
you know, there's so much burnout. And I don't mean just from the healthcare perspective, I'm talking about all of us. So those of us who are working at home, those of us who are working out of the home, those are us who are homeschooling, like there's just so much stress on everyone that I feel that layered on top of all of the social injustice that has happened and unraveled in the last year, all of this stuff is just mentally draining. Like I was on a phone call when the verdict was read in the George Floyd trial, right? In the case. So we were all like, no, we're going to sit here and watch this because we're not going to conduct any more business today because we want to sit and watch this. And it's just like how it informs the conversation and now this level of accountability. So you need accountability with the pandemic. You need accountability for people's mental health needs. But if we're not taking care of each other and doing these check-ins, you know, it becomes a problem. All this just stress and mental health stress and physical stress, that's all the interplay between everything else. And I think that's really important to think about. Yeah, you're right. And there's so many different layers to it. Um, But I am a naturally optimistic person. And I believe that COVID, with all of the loss and grief and pain and suffering that it has brought, I, my only hope is that we also take lessons from it. You know, we also leave it understanding the value of time with our loved ones, the value of the fact that We don't know how many days we have here on this earth. So let's make the most of it. Let's love harder. Let's forgive faster. Let's, you know, be slow to get angered. You know, all of those things. And that's how I feel being someone's cheerleader and champion and knowing that and believing that the change that we see and the change that we seek is going to bring about better outcomes and better quality of life for people. And so from all these experiences that you've had, what have you learned that you would want other people to know? Great question. So I guess the first thing is make sure to take care of yourself and finding that that time to breathe and take in and self-care is really, really important. That people from different backgrounds are, and different age groups will have different perspectives on what they think they should do for themselves and try to be as supportive as possible so that they can retain their autonomy in making decisions as long as as long as they can depending on the situation and it's okay to say no right it's okay as a carer to say no i can't do this today no i'm unavailable this time don't feel bad because you have to say no a couple of times. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.